As a reminder of the journey that we've taken in God's Word together, we've spent most of this year walking through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew verses 5 and 6, and shortly we'll be heading into Matthew 7. Now we started with the Beatitudes, which reminded us that everything, the world, our identity and being, and all blessings begin with God. And as we looked at the many teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, salt and light, the law, anger, lust, marriage and divorce, allowing our yes to be yes and our no to be no, loving our enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, money, we see in all of those things the through line that exists is that God is concerned about our hearts more than our outer appearance. Right In a world where looking good and righteous and honorable to men by following the rules of society was and continues to be a primary focus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has flipped that on its head, continually reminding us that he is more concerned about our inward heart position. Now, this morning we're going to continue our transition into this Advent season by discussing the Latin nunc dimittis, or now you dismiss, also called the prophecy of Simeon from Luke chapter 2. At this time, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, either electronically or, or in print, uh, I'd ask you to go ahead and, and grab one from the table. Our, our brother Larry here is uh, willing to to pass out a copy of God's Word, just raise your hand. Uh, it is very useful and beneficial as we study God's Word to see it in front of us, to, to be able to pour over it ourselves. So um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word or you need an upgrade of the copy of God's Word, we'd ask you to go ahead and take that. Uh, the greatest gift that we can provide you is God's Word. And so uh, we'd ask that you take that and you study that and you cherish that Word of God. As we approach this inspired word of God in Luke 2 this morning, please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for the wonderful way that you have saved us from sin and death. Lord God, allow us to be in awe this Christmas season of the way that you sent your son, born in the humblest of circumstances to live as man amongst us, die an unfair death upon the cross so that we could have eternal life with you. As we approach your word this morning, God, we ask for inward transformation. Lord, that you would illuminate yourself to us and allow us to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So with that, let's turn to Luke 2. Obviously, Luke being one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke 2, verses 28 through 32, which reads, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. 
As we look at this set of verses this morning to help us understand who God is, we're going to focus on three key areas. First, we're going to look at who is this Simeon guy who's providing this prophecy. That we'll look at by taking a look at verses 29 through 32, um, or excuse me, as we break down verses 25 through 28. The second thing we're going to look at is what is the prophecy and what does it mean as we examine the focus on verses 29 through 32, 34, and 35. And then finally, we're going to look at what is Mary and Joseph's response, which we'll see in verse 33. Now, to understand what's going on in these set of verses that we just read, uh, since we haven't been necessarily walking through Luke verse by verse, as as we have with the Sermon on the Mount. The contextual understanding is provided above these set of verses, right? In verses uh, 21 uh, down through 28, where we started this morning. So if we look at verse 22, it explains, when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, what's happening here? Right? When, when referencing the time of purification according to the law of Moses, the custom in Jewish culture at that time was that for the birth of a son, the female had to wait 40 days before re-entering the temple. Right? We had a time where the female was seen after giving birth as being unclean, right? That she couldn't enter the temple. Uh, Ironically enough, uh, that same period of purification was 80 days if she bore a a, a woman, but we won't go there. Um, But, but, so they they waited 40 days, right? So Jesus was born, they waited 40 days, um, and and then they re-entered the temple to give their firstborn son to the Lord, right? These were a people, Joseph and Mary, who were law-abiding Jewish citizens, right? They, they believed in the law. They, they subscribed to what the law provided that, that they should do with their firstborn son, right? They waited the 40 days, and then they took Jesus to the temple to be given to the Lord. So what this shows us a little bit in this contextual understanding is that Jesus was not born above the law, right? But instead, he fulfilled it perfectly, right? Jesus was not born above the law, but instead, he fulfilled it perfectly. Now, um, in addition to that, uh, we see that Jesus was born of, of humble beginnings, right? We see um, in verse 24 here that it explains that Mary and Joseph offered a pair of doves or two young pigeons when it was provided that a dove or pigeon is provided for a sin offering and a lamb for a burnt offering or a second dove or pigeon if a lamb was too expensive, right? So if Jesus was born in this self-righteous, really, uh, you know, silver spoon in his mouth type of circumstance, 
right? We would have seen that Mary and Joseph would have offered the lamb, right? But we see here in, in verse 24 that no, they came with the two doves or the two pigeons, the, the lesser of the offering showing that they in fact came from humble beginnings, right? What an amazing way that God uses, right? That God is using the poorest of the poor, but people who were committed to him to bring us a savior. So as we approach these next set of verses, right, Mary and Joseph, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, are entering the temple, and a man named Simeon takes Jesus into his arms and pronounces the words we read just a few minutes ago. Right? And as I read that, my first question is, and it's the first point we're going to explore this morning, who is this man, Simeon? Right? He's not a priest. He's not a member of their family. Right? Is this just some crazy guy that was wandering around in the temple that, that took up Jesus and said, um, said these words? Right? Is this a guy that's lost his marbles and we have to question all of the words that he said, right? That you may dismiss your servant in peace, that, that you've prepared uh, the sight of all people. Now, so, so we're going to take a look at that, right? We're going to understand who Simeon is. And historically, there's not a lot of information on Simeon, right? Really, in, in Scripture, this is, this is the only place that he appears, so to understand who Simeon is, we need to take a look back at our text in Luke, right, to understand him. And in verse 25, here we see that Simeon was righteous and devout, right, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, as we look at the description of Simeon being righteous and devout, we must understand that righteousness right, is the idea that um, it's conformity to God's will as expressed in his law. Righteousness is the conformity to God's will as expressed in his law. Now, as we look at these words, right, righteous and devout, we need to understand a little bit about how Luke uses language, right? How Luke uh, portrays and explains things, right? And it's pretty common in Luke, actually, that we see that he uses pretty similar terms together quite regularly, right? That, in fact, a lot of times he uses that as emphasis, right? That the two words might be pretty close, but it's to emphasize that idea, Right, that Simeon is righteous and devout. These words, pretty similar. Matthew's getting across and emphasizing the point of what this is. And so, um, in, in a lot of other cases, right, in, in other um, Gospels, right, that the understanding of, of righteous and devout might come from... Um, from the Old Testament or Jesus. Um, but Luke instead places his emphasis on the pious or the spiritual, merciful, and just behavior that is the fruit 
of those who are ultimately approved by God. Again, we see that Luke frames these essentially as saying he is righteous and devout because of the merciful and just behavior that is a fruit of his faith. Right? We see that Zechariah and Elizabeth are described as righteous before God, right? To get a better understanding of how Luke will use righteous. Because they obeyed the Lord's commandments blamelessly, right? We see that back here in Luke 6. They were righteous because they obeyed the Lord's commands blamelessly. In Luke 23, Luke describes Joseph of Arimathea as someone known for his piety or his spirituality because he was one who lived according to God's commandments. Right? Luke is using the idea of righteousness as someone whose actions warrant that description. Right? Someone whose actions warrant that description. So, as we look at Simeon being described as righteous... We see him as one of the few who had a trusting hope that God would eventually save his people. As was described by John Calvin in his commentary on Luke, he says, Now, since an expectation of this sort is commended in Simeon as an uncommon attainment, the idea of of righteous and devout, we may conclude that there were few in that age who actually cherished in their hearts the hope of redemption. All had on their lips the name of the Messiah and of prosperity under the reign of David, but hardly any one was to be found who patiently endured present afflictions, relying on the consolatory assurance that the redemption of the church was at hand. Now, isn't this a commentary that we can make a little bit about today's current time? Right? Isn't that possibly a sad idea that we can make about our own belief or lack thereof? That if we truly look in our own hearts, we look like those at the time maybe that were unlike Simeon. Finding that we have trusted or are trusting someone other than the one who came to save us from sin and death. Trusting anything and everything but a Lord that came to us in the form of a child. Lived a perfect life, yet was shamed and crucified, only to defeat the grave and ascend into heaven to rule and reign at the Father's right hand. Folks, it's a sad and true story of unbelief. And I ask that we repent and allow our faith to define us as it has Simeon in the scripture. If we fail to acknowledge and repent of our unbelief, we're like a child kicking and screaming in the corner of timeout, refusing to understand and acknowledge the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Those of us who are unrepentant of our unbelief are like a child kicking and screaming in the corner, refusing to believe that we need a Savior. As we continue to understand who Simeon was, looking back at verse 25 to see, what, see that he was waiting 
for the consolation of Israel. Right? What does this mean, waiting for the consolation of Israel? Described simply, right, and, and we saw this in the last point, Simeon had faith, unlike most, that the Lord would deliver salvation to his people. The word consolation comes from the word console. Right? We're all pretty familiar with the idea of consoling, to comfort someone in a, in a time of grief or disappointment. Again, coming from John Calvin's commentary on Luke, it was proof of him being a devout man that he waited for the consolation of Israel. For no true worship of God can exist without the hope of salvation, which depends on the faith of his promises and particularly on the restoration promises through Christ. Again, no true worship can exist without the hope of salvation having faith of his promises. Simeon waited patiently in faith that the Lord would fulfill his promise of delivering a Savior in Simeon's lifetime. When for over 400 years these people hadn't heard from God through a prophet, when Israel was being destroyed and the people had lost hope that the promises their God would be fulfilled, this man continued to wait faithfully with expectation that his God would deliver. He faithfully waited for the consolation that the Lord would provide comfort to Israel. So, finally, in understanding Simeon, let's look at it means that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, in a world where our free will is understood and expressed to a greater extent than it ever has been allowed to culturally be experienced, the idea that the Holy Spirit moved Simeon to be in the place where he was may be a little challenging. Right? It is believed, however, that Luke uses the same understanding of the Spirit being upon Simeon as we see in Revelation 1.10, in which John was in the Spirit and heard a loud voice like a trumpet telling him to write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Right, The same idea that John, who wrote the Revelation, our understanding of what's to come, right? our understanding of what glory looks like that we believe fully was inspired by the Spirit, right? that same Holy Spirit delivered Simeon to enter into the temple court. To have a divine appointment with the future Savior of the world, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I think of being led by the Spirit, I'm prompted a little bit to the idea of obedience. Right? The idea that spans being prompted by the Spirit and our free will. Right? So we have being prompted by the Spirit, our free will, and somewhere in between is, is obedience. Right? And for me, that level of faith that it can take to answer the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Right? Satan can use doubt 
Satan can use busyness, lack of understanding, but ultimately, Satan uses it all as deceit, just like in the garden. That, that he's deceiving us that God's promises are true. He's deceiving me and not allowing me to, to uh, agree in my heart of hearts that my faith in Jesus is real. So in this case, as we understand who Simeon is, we praise Simeon's faith and obedience to, that the Holy Spirit led him to the place where he could prophesy of Jesus. So as we've broken it down, right, to understand who Simeon is, the scripture has provided that Simeon had faith, right? He was righteous and devout. That he had faith, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and that he had faith. The Holy Spirit was upon him. So now that we see and understand who this man was that was providing this prophecy, a man of true faith, let's look at the second point. Right? What is this prophecy and what does it mean? Well, let's, let's look at these verses again. Here, right? Verses 29 through 32, or excuse me, 29 through 35. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the failing and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So if we look at verse 29, Simeon is praising to the Lord, you promised that I would see the Lord's Christ in this lifetime, the genesis of your salvation, and I have seen him. Lord, you are a promise keeper, Simeon is proclaiming. I may now die in peace knowing that you have fulfilled your promise to me. The theme here is the peace that Simeon is proclaiming. Right? A peace that only God can provide. You know, the expression has been used quite a bit in our culture. I want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before I die. Right? Or the idea of a bucket list, a group of things that you want to see or do before your time on earth is done. Right? Or the term, I'd be a happy man, I'd die happy if. But we know the truth in, in all of those things. Right? That those things that we've put on that list, right, that they're not going to allow us to die happy or to bring us peace. Right? If the Vikings win a Super Bowl, 
We know that the next year you'll just expect another. Right? Your hope and your understanding will be broadened and, and you'll say, let's, let's make another run. Right? If, if you finish all the things on your bucket list and you still have time on this earth, guess what? You're going to add more things to your bucket list. Our sin nature doesn't allow us to be content because our soul longs for the Lord and until sin is removed, the chasm between us and God exists. Right? A chasm that only can be spanned by Jesus. That Jesus was spared on our behalf. Now, if we subscribe that this word of God is true, we see over and over and know in our hearts where the peace that Simeon is proclaiming can be found. We see in Psalm 29 verse 11, the Lord gives strength to his people, the Lord blesses his people with peace. Right, like the Beatitudes, where does this peace come from? It doesn't come from our achievement. It doesn't come from what we can do, right? It says, the Lord blesses his people. In Psalm 119, we see, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. In Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are you were called to peace and be thankful. In Philippians 4 7 it says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, Buffalo City Church, let's stop grasping for peace or lying to ourselves that peace is found anywhere else than the promise that our suffering on earth results in eternal life if we put our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. That one day, because of what Christ has done for us, we will be victorious over sin and death. And as we continue in this prophecy, right, in verses 30 through 32, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory of your people Israel. Right? In that set of verses, we see here a universal call. The common thought, right, in this time in Jerusalem was that salvation was for Israel only. Right? That they saw themselves as God's chosen people. They were looking for a leader that was going to save them from the attacks and persecution and the rule of those around them. Right? But Simeon, in the great spiritual understanding, understood that Isaiah had, what Isaiah had provided in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. Right, which many of the Israelites chose to ignore or forget. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant of the people and a light for the Gentiles. 
And again in Isaiah 49.6, which says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Again, it is too small a thing. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Right? Simeon was, was prophesying an expanded scope or understanding of the Messiah. Right? The idea that there would be someone con- coming to save the Jews and the Gentiles, that idea didn't make sense in terms of the political rule Messiah that the Israelites subscribed to at that time. Right? Simeon is painting the picture of someone who is going to be much greater and much different than the current Israelite understanding of the Messiah. And we see that expanded understanding when Simeon speaks to Mary in verses 34 and 35. This child is destined to cause the failing and rising of many in Israel and be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That doesn't sound like a political army uprising, does it? Someone who will reveal the hearts of many. Now, we've talked at length about the heart condition throughout our time this year discussing the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, through that sermon, was raising the bar to the religious leaders to care about the position of our hearts as opposed to how well we can externally or in the sight of other men follow the law. And the concern of the heart condition is for each and every person, the Gentile and the people of Israel. So what do we see in this prophecy of Simeon? We see that this child he is holding up in the temple court, Jesus Messiah, has and will provide the only true peace and will provide a universal call for the condition of our hearts. Again, we see that this child he is holding up in the temple court, Jesus Messiah, has and will provide the only true peace, and will provide and is providing the universal call of the condition of our hearts. So we've looked at who Simeon is righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel with the Holy Spirit upon him. And we've seen what the prophecy he has provided and the understanding of Christ providing salvation that brings peace and the universal call of the condition of our hearts. So that brings us to our third and final point, Mary and Joseph's response. As we look at verse 33, we see a simple response to the praising prophecy of Jesus as Messiah from Simeon. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said 
about him. Here we have a faithful follower of God in Simeon taking their newborn son into his arms, proclaiming that he's a gift from God, the Messiah who would be a light to the entire world. And if we look back in Luke chapter 1, this would actually be the second time that Mary would be greeted with a similar type prophecy. Right? If we take a look back at, at Luke 1, verses 42 through 45, right, we see um, that Elizabeth right, was the one who would have welcomed her as the mother of her Lord. Right? So this idea that Jesus was going to be great would have not been the first time. Right? It says, in a loud voice she exclaimed, this being Elizabeth, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Speaking to Mary. Mary says, but why am I so favored, or excuse me, Elizabeth says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Right, so Simeon is, is proclaiming this. Elizabeth proclaimed this. Right, but what I appreciate about Joseph and Mary's response is the simplicity. Right, the child's father and mother marveled or were amazed at what was said about him. The question I have for us this morning is, are we amazed by the gospel message? Do we marvel that God sent his only son to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life and take the sins of the world to the cross so that we are forgiven for our sins and have eternal life with God? We're a simple people. Right? Or, or maybe I should rephrase that. I'm a simple person. Right? I'm amazed when I see a basketball athlete take off from the free throw line, dunk it, right, 15 feet away. Wow, that's amazing. Right? I, I can walk in a big city downtown right, and, and look up and marvel at the, at the architecture and the engineering it takes to get a skyscraper thousands of feet above me to stand there right, without moving. Right? To be this huge, immense, amazing thing. Right? We are a people who are, I'll say, easily awed. Right? But am I truly impressed? Right? Are we truly impressed by the unfolding of eternity in the name and person of Jesus Christ? Am I in awe that the Lord of the universe sent his son here to earth to take my sin? And your sin. And your sin. And your sin. Are we in awe of what our God and Savior has done? So as we approach Christmas Day, 
the reminder that our God came down from heaven to dwell amongst us, to eventually take our sin to the cross. Let's marvel as Joseph and Mary did when they heard this prophecy from Simeon. In our quiet moments, which I know can be difficult to be had, and in our time with friends and family, let's be in amazement of our Savior. As we wrap up looking at the prophecy of Simeon in Luke 2 this morning, we understand that Simeon was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and full of the Spirit, all of which exuded his faith in Jesus Christ. We understand that the peace that was provided by Simeon only comes from the understanding of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And that the call is universal to examine the condition of our heart. And that as was Joseph and Mary's response, we should marvel at the work and being of Christ Jesus on our behalf. So with that, I leave with us the following charge. One, pray for faith. Pray that the Lord would cure our unbelief this holiday season. Let's humble ourselves to acknowledge that we are not on the throne of our lives. Right? That we need to approach Lord God and ask him to cure our unbelief. Whether it's our outward appearance and caring about how we're perceived by others, whether it's our if we search our hearts and find that our identity is incorrectly defined by our job or how well we do our job, whether it's our unwillingness to tell those around us that we want them and that we need them to be a part of our lives and to help us grow in Christ, let's pray. Let's pray for that faith. Number two, let's seek peace in the Lord alone. Right? The only true genesis of peace. Right? We walked through many elements of Scripture that reminds us. Right? We're, we quickly forget. Right? We, we seek peace in so many other things. But let's truly seek peace in the Lord alone. Third, let's understand and believe that the call to follow Jesus is universal. Right? No matter our background, no matter the sins you've committed, no matter how many times you've turned from God in your day-to-day, no matter your faults and inconsistencies, if you rest in faith, find peace in what the Lord is doing and will do, you'll find no other way to believe but that his call is universal, which graciously includes you. And finally, let's marvel. Right? Let's be in amazement that we have a Lord who chose to come to earth to bear the shame and pain of the cross in our behalf so that we can live in eternity with him. Let's pray.